and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who now knows how to pronounce Curacao. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I will take your word for it and not say it right now and let you be out there saying uh-huh. that we know how to pronounce it. And I should admit, I also did not know how to pronounce it <laughs> and until I researched it a little bit ready for our US versus Curacao preview. My point is simply that I think we went to one website and heard one person pronounce it and we are like, yeah, that's it. So we may still be wrong. I checked multiple okay. links. All I right. checked multiple links. <laughs> All right. Later in today's mm-hmm. show, we will be talking about the US men's national team versus Curacao mm-hmm. Gold Cup quarterfinal. But first, mm-hmm. there were two Women's World Cup quarterfinals today. There were. On a Saturday, which means no days off for us. Indeed. I'm assuming <laughs> we all had Netherlands, Sweden as our World Cup semifinal. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. What, that, when I filled my bracket out before the tournament, uh-huh. yeah, I had Germany and France going out in the quarterfinals Obviously. for sure. Yeah, Australia not even making it that far. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal, right, that it's uh, that it's Netherlands, Sweden in the, in the semi. It is indeed, because I believe that means they both go to the Olympics, because European qualifying yes. is weird. Yep. So, yeah, if people don't know, Olympic qualifying for the UEFA Nations is... Whoever gets the farthest mm-hmm. in the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, Netherlands, Sweden, and because England are there, but there's Great Britain yeah. is what goes to the Olympics. I, I didn't realize this. There was some agreement uh, between England and the other FAs to, for England to be the official we'll try and qualify through the World Cup uh, team yes. for Great Britain. <laughs> we'll try so and very, qualify uh, through the World Cup team. There's going to be a whole argument next of uh, does it just become the mm-hmm. England team, coached by Phil Neville, that just wears the Great Britain jersey and plays at the Olympics? Mm-hmm. Or... Do you pull in Kim Little, Jess Fishluck, all those players that you can? Whatever uh, players said, Northern Ireland have, I couldn't name a Northern Irish. Uh, I believe he player. said today that he aimed to bring in uh, other players if okay. it was possible. So w- we shall see how it develops, but we'll yeah. see if everybody wants to be part of that or not wants to be part of I, that. I'll admit, I'm a little excited about that. I am too. Because it's been so long. I mean, 2012 we did it, but I thought it was a one-off. So it's exciting yeah. to have it actually happen properly again. And that felt like a one-off. It felt like a, yeah. we're just going to do this. This time around, though, I do wonder, I love that we're talking about England somehow. I, I do <laughs> wonder like, if you've kind of had the success that England have had at this World Cup with the squad they've had, do you then bring in like other players who are, like Kim Little is an amazing midfielder, obviously, yeah. but then she's d- potentially displacing somebody else who's been there. It's a strange situation that uh-huh. I'm sure Phil Neville will have to find a way to navigate. Here's my guess. I'll hmm. bet the Scottish FA put pressure on their players to not accept the call-up because, yep. as I understand it, I'm not going to argue with them, but they're very invested in the idea of remaining independent nations within FIFA and not being not giving any inch to the idea of a Great Britain national soccer team. This so is I, yeah. This is what's happened in the past, right? So I would I bet the Scottish FA will say, Hey Kim Little, please don't accept any call up and then that will probably end it. This is a weird question to ask that you may not know the answer to. If you had to guess, is there one of the like home nations federations that would be more likely to accept than others? Like in the past, I think like Wales did, and like uh, what uh, Ryan Giggs was the yeah, captain I mean, for. That's them. the answer. Yeah. Wales, Wales are more likely, okay. just because they've done it in the past. But more right? so than Northern Ireland. I mean, I guess it's just Northern Ireland don't have that many players, that so be. they might even just be happy to be asked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> happy. To be, we'll send you like a trainer. There it's an go. even bigger political issue in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, right? Yeah, true. true so, true. Th- so there's that element to it. Oh, is well. there an issue there? I didn't know. There is. Oh, okay. We definitely should not delve into it. No, you yeah. don't want to go in depth on the troubles. I do not. Okay, <laughs> I do not. Um, all right, so we should get to. <laughs> I just want listeners to know how uncomfortable even hinting at going into that made yeah. Daryl. Well, you also you talked to a man who grew up in Birmingham yeah. and also lived in Ireland. There you go. So I'm sort of very familiar with all the ins and outs and mm-hmm. I find the best thing is to say nothing really you sure <laughs> yeah all right let's move on to uh an easier topic potentially to discuss Italy Netherlands Italy Netherlands mm-hmm. the World Cup quarter final it finished 2-0 to the Netherlands and because it's the weekend we're not going to spend like 25 minutes mm-hmm. on a big tactical breakdown let's just talk about the goals yes so 70th minute my friend Miedema mm-hmm. I was a big uh, like you know backer of her coming into the tournament specifically because she's so calm and 
rarely celebrates. Mm-hmm. Um, with her, gets her head to a free kick, makes it 1-0 to the Netherlands. She does. Uh, if I were giving advice to Sweden, who obviously the Netherlands will be playing, it would be to maybe practice your set-piece defense, uh-huh. because both of these are from set-pieces, both of these from free kicks goals. into the box. Yep. Yeah, two goals from, as Alexi Lass always says, set-pieces, set-pieces... Then he adds a third one. I yeah. don't know why. There's only two in this game. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, why. It's usually in relation to this game. So it's it's mid with the header. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Spitzer takes a free kick. But I want to talk about how that free kick was won. Sure. Because it was, I think Netherlands, actually star player who maybe doesn't get enough spotlight because we always talk about mm-hmm. the front three, Danielle van der Dunk. Mm-hmm. Um, she has the ball what, over on the left wing and she's shielding it. Uh, Gama, the, you know, the great Italian defender, is behind her. I don't know how she wins a free kick. I'm still slightly puzzled by this. I think, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of physical defending where she's trying to hold the ball up. Gama is trying to put the pressure on her. So there yeah. is that contact, and I think the referee is inclined to let that go. But yeah. as we've seen time and time again, not just in this tournament, but like generally speaking, put the hands in the back, it's going to be a call. That's and I think Gama it's because, Gama, forgot, yeah. because Gama, even just like a light touch on the back, it still looks like both hands are there. It looks like the elbows are extending. And at that point, yeah. the referee is always going to give that as a foul. All right. So Vanderdonk wins the free mm-hmm. kick. She doesn't take it, though, right? I think she's about to take it. She's about to take it, yeah. Gama kick it away. She does. And I'm going to guess Vendedonk says something to her because yeah, Gama yeah. then pursue, pursues her, has to be separated by the referee, and then continues to have some uh, words. There, there was a back and forth. There was. There was definitely a back and forth. But actually, strangely, to, to the point you were kind of making there, I think maybe Gama kind of messes this up a little bit because if What's she that? doesn't get into it with Vendedonk, maybe Vendedonk does take it quickly or doesn't take it as well as Spitza does. But yeah. because there is this delay, Spitza ends up taking, serves in, I'm going to say a Perfect ball for yeah. him ahead. So it's what? It's in swinging because mm-hmm. she's right footed and it's just behind the Italian defensive yep. line, but way too far away for the goalkeeper to come get it. And she, it's really she inviting. I mean, that's that's the sign that the goalkeeper is, is like at, at her six yard box and just uh, Giuliani backpedals completely when that ball served in because there's yeah. no chance she's going to get to it because it's it's low, it's in swinging, and it's, yeah, it's got a lot of pace behind it. So okay. I think that was really smart. What I didn't think was so smart was. I don't know why, but this always bugs me, is when... So the free kick is, what, maybe 30, 35 yards from the end line? Yeah, and why, very wide left, right? Why don't from. teams just stand at the 18? I do not get this. Will you, you, will you explain, what is the argument for standing at the 18 mm-hmm. versus, like, why not pick yeah. the optimal spot? What's so good about standing on the 18-yard line? Sure. So you're trying to hold the, like, the, the basically high offside line on yeah. the free kick, and so that's what the Italians are doing here. But what I never understand, because I guess the idea is it, it's more space for the uh, op, like the attacking team to run into, but that makes it maybe theoretically harder, I guess, to like get on the end of a ball but staying on side. But what makes more sense to me is drop to the top of the 18, and then you have an actual line to hold so where everybody saying, knows. Use the line yeah. as your guide to whether you know that if you're in line with your defenders or not. If you know everyone's standing mm-hmm. on the same line then we all know where we are. You don't even have to look across. If you look down, yeah. you know you're in the right place. Exactly. Right? But on top it's of that... It's easier to coordinate. It is, but also, like, it's not as though the offside line is necessarily blown here. So it's not even just that it's easier to keep the offside line. It's just that if you're that much further back, when that ball served in, it has to be even better, like, even much better hit? Butter betterly? <laughs> um, it's even much better. There we go. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise, like, it's going to probably either be collected by the goalkeeper or it's going to be headed clear because you have a smaller area to aim at. Yeah. So I just don't 
quite get why they did that, aside from maybe they just didn't think the delivery would be that good, or maybe that's just what they've practiced, but it never quite makes sense to me. And so they end up, what, standing, what, two yards ahead? Mm-hmm. So they're about, they're about 20 yards yeah. from goal, which I don't think is enough to really gain an advantage Mm-mm. for what you lose by not having the line. Yeah. And there's no obvious error, right? There's no Italian defender, like Sam Mewis did against, uh, mm-hmm. against who did we play? France. Um, there's no obvious defender who messes up and drops too deep and right. breaks the offside line. I think it's just a really clever run from Midemar, and I think it's combined with the fact that Italy are not man marking right they're essentially essentially zonal marking but just concentrating on standing in a straight line yes. which i just think is it not just not enough it's not aggressive enough in terms of attacking the ball when you've got sneaky players like i Miedema. mean you literally can't attack the ball because you're you because you have a higher line than yeah. you, i would say you need to you have to drop in to try to head that ball clear so you're literally retreating to then go and try to attack the yeah. ball whereas all the dutch have to do is attack the ball and, and i think just, that's that's where it doesn't make sense but it's also then creates a little bit of chaos because you can see, I think Gama is paying attention to Midema. She's trying to maybe stay with her, not necessarily like one-on-one mark, yeah, but yeah. not lose her. But then Which she, it's like Midema runs and then runs into Gama's zone. Slightly, yeah, right? but then, but goes, then out of, but yeah. goes out of that zone and then sort of Gama has to stop and do what she does, which is track back but stay in her spot. But then no one else really picks up Midema and that's why she's able to kind of get to the ball first and then has a great directional header to put it into the back it's corner. It's a really good it header. It really right? is. And then she even almost celebrates. Mm-hmm. She lifts her arms almost. Briefly. Yeah. She was inspired by Rapino to at least lift her arms. Yes. Yeah, there you go. So that's <laughs> I good. Lo- I love her calmness, her coolness. That's fair. You she should. Said, Nothing matters. It's fine. She's um, a nihilist, maybe. The, the biggest mistake she made was not <laughs> scoring the second goal. I think that's what really... Uh, Why is that? Because, you know, I just wanted to get another goal. <laughs> I want to see her celebrate even more, but she doesn't. We'll talk about the top scorer race mm-hmm. later in today's show. The second goal comes 10 minutes later, and it is uh, the defender, Van der Gracht, mm-hmm. is how I'm going to pronounce it. I probably overdid the... Yeah. Uh, but Van der Gracht... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Um, scores with her head she does from a free kick um, yes the way that the Netherlands win this free kick I think is maybe more interesting than yep. the way they won the first free kick mm-hmm. fair to say yeah uh, because we go back to uh, Van der Donk, uh your, your uh, preferred player I think for the Dutch team aside from Miedema. Yeah. Uh, but we talked in the preview for this game I believe or the review of their last game about how she seems to be the pressing trigger yeah. that she steps out and goes running at people when she and, wants and to and sometimes she just goes freelance she just goes that kind of solo pressing mission yeah. <laughs> and here uh, it's a Italian goal kick it's taken short to Guanyi, the left back for Italy. Yeah. Uh, Bernstein, who's subbed in for Shanice van der Sanden, puts pressure on, gets beat. But I think that kind of pressure and slowing down what Guanyi wants to do allows the Dutch to get a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Yeah. And then van der Donk comes flying in. Yeah. And basically, uh, I can't remember if it's... Is it van der Donk who dispossesses Guanyi? No, I think maybe Berenstein or mm-hmm. someone else uh, dispossesses yeah. Guanyi like, by just popping the ball loose. Yeah. But van der Donk is there to pick up the popped ball. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and... The ball wasn't go. actually popped. It didn't go flat or anything. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then it ends up uh, with another foul because then yeah. Italy had stepped forward because it's a goal kick. Mm-hmm. Now suddenly they're in a state of transition. They could be... Uh, counted upon or are very vulnerable so you uh, have the foul from I th- believe it was uh, Sabatini yep. uh, who picks up the yellow as well but it gives the Dutch a free kick in a very dangerous position again and once again mm-hmm. uh, they take it they basically drive it to Is it? Um, it it's um, Spitzer again right? yep. she drives it to the far post yep. and Van der Graaft who's pretty tall I think she's 5'10 um, is there and she's matched up with Guani yep. who is not so tall and it's essentially just like Guani doesn't lose her no. she's with her the whole time but Van der Graaft's just bigger and better in the air, 
right? So yeah. then it's and it's a, another good header past the Italian keeper. Doesn't he go through her hands slightly through Giuliani's hands? I think both of them like like hit Giuliani's hands, but it's because she's sort of having to slide over and then try to make a play off of two very good headers. Yeah. The second one more powerful, the first one more placement. I, I can't really fault her for that one. And to your point, I don't really fault Guanyi either because she's just doing what she can. She's got she's got hands. She's foul. She's like doing everything she can short of fouling Vandergracht. It's just yeah, you've yeah. got a little bit of a size difference there, and one's attacking, one's defending. I like your your final pronunciation. I think was the right the right balance. I appreciate there, that. There's just enough in there. But I should say, <laughs> even with the second goal, I appreciate that. It it did feel like as soon as the Dutch scored, Italy were more than in a lot of trouble. It felt like they were sort of knew what had happened. I think yeah. their whole game plan was to defend and defend, frustrate and maybe get one, but it never felt like Italy were then going to take it to the yeah. Dutch and find a way through. I have a Dutch question for you. Mm. Um, I'll ask it in English. Okay, um, that's good. <laughs> so there's a semi-final coming. Voight ball. The pattern for the Netherlands mm-hmm. has been Shanice van der Sanden starts on the right yep. as part of that famous front three, right? Van der Sanden, mm-hmm. uh, Miedema, then uh, Lika Martens. Um, and it really hasn't produced all that much. No. And I think it's become a little predictable in terms yeah. of she goes, she's just going to try and get to the end line and cut it back. And I think defenders know what's coming. Yeah. Um, every time the Dutch have won the game, I think, like especially in the recent rounds, it's because Berenstein has come off the bench, replaced her, and maybe done a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's kind of the point Including where. Including like winning the ball back for this, uh, for this second goal. Indeed. Here. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, she doesn't win the ball. She gets beat. But yeah, I yeah. take your point. Um, I, but I think like it, it has gotten to the point where I see Van Sanden when they do the hydration breaks near the end. She's always kind of like up and cheered everybody up. And she's definitely a good locker room presence. But it has yeah. that feel of like, I don't know why I, I focus on this, but it, I, I do wonder if there's that feeling of like, ah, I haven't really really done that much in terms of like actual contributions yep. like I so so this is my question yeah. that I was getting to mm-hmm. is if you go into the semi-final now if you're the Dutch um, do you think oh maybe we just start Berenstein or do we think like this pattern of just having van der Sanden not quite do what she was hoping to yeah. do but then we replace it with Berenstein that's working so let's just stick with what works that would be my guess. Is yeah, that, yeah st- stick with what brung, brung you. Uh, <laughs> but also because even if she's not... <laughs> Dance with the one what brung you, but switch her out 30 minutes before full time. That's it, right yeah. there, because... That's not a good prom strategy. The dancing opponent is tired at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I would say, is like if you're going to have her run and cause problems and push Sweden further and further back and make them pay more attention to a very fast uh, winger who can obviously deliver a good ball, yeah. then maybe you wear them out and bring in Berenstein. I, yeah, I just think... I haven't seen... I looked at their statistics. Berenstein had a couple better performances statistically but overall yeah. I think hasn't done enough to it's not like she comes in and scores a goal gets an assist creates a bunch of chances it's roughly the same uh, with Van and I think getting one more assist I just thought Berenstein has like a couple more moves you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she's more likely to do a step over and go the other way than, mm-hmm. than Van der Sanden is. But maybe it's good to wear the left back down and then bring on the moves. Yeah. There, and there's also the age old question of like, do her moves look more successful because she's playing against a tired defense yeah. because of who was there previously? All right. Should we should we move on to I the day's second quarter final? This is the big surprise, right? Yep. Germany, Sweden. You kind of would expect that Germany, what number three team in the world, mm-hmm. would win this. They took the lead and then lost two one to Sweden. Yes, and it was a German. It was a Germany team that like you could create a narrative either way. If they had won this game, it would have been oh the team that hasn't conceded any goals continued to find a way through and like we're very yeah. German in finding a way to make something happen. Mm-hmm. But it was also a German team that have since the very first game against China failed to impress, and we haven't seen them sort of take a game and completely dominate it from start to finish. And, and centre look- backs have looked a little wobbly yep. in every game, including mm-hmm. the first game. Yeah, I, I thought maybe there was a couple of opportunities for China. I believe in the mm-hmm. first game yep. where German centre-backs made a couple mistakes mm-hmm. yeah yes 
So, I mean, I think you see that like, come to fruition here where it felt like Germany were trying a couple different things. They had some rotation. Marshan comes back into this game at halftime, having missed the uh, last few with a broken toe. Uh, and But like it, it felt like that aside, you saw Germany doing some questionable things. I think expecting Sweden to be a bit more defensive, a bit more bunkered. Yeah. And they weren't. Well, let's talk about those questionable things here. Because I think there's, you talked about the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vas Tecklenburg made a major decision in her lineup that pays off with the goal mm-hmm. and then doesn't pay off later on. All right. So the thing she did is Alexandra Pop, mm-hmm. the goal scorer for Germany, does not play up front in this game. She plays defensive midfield, which we know she can do because I've seen her drop in in other games towards the end when they're defending a lead and it's been impressive. But for some reason in this game, Alexandra Pop does not start up front. She starts defensive midfield and Shula and Lina Magul, who's more of a midfielder, Mm -hmm. start up front. And my only thought is maybe it's because Pop is great in the air. She's Mm -hmm. got a lot of goals with headers, right? But you're up against uh, Nilla Fischer and Sembrandt Mm -hmm. and they're great in the air. And maybe there was just a thought that it just won't work. Like, mm-hmm. Pop can't beat these two in the air, so let's not go for the aerial bombardment. And then also, we didn't we notice against Chile that maybe Fisher and Sembrandt are a little bit slow? Mm-hmm. So maybe you send up Schuler, who's pretty quick, and Lina McGull, we know, is fast and energetic, and you just think, all right, instead, we're going to send Pace versus these two centre-backs and see if it works. Right. But this is the problem that, like, you have when you have that star player like Pop is... But then, does it really make sense to play her? Or is this a game where maybe you do sit her and you make that gutsy decision and right. you bring in an actual midfielder? Because so if you're going to do it, just drop her altogether yeah. rather than find a spot for her in midfield. Exactly, yeah. because to your earlier point, yes, she's a holding midfielder, but I, I feel like it's worth clarifying that Germany are on a 4-4-2. So it's not even that it's like a 4-1-3-2 and she's just tasked with sitting deep. I mean, that's what she does. But there's also times when she does kind of step out a little bit, but then there's this big space, and it's not as though it's her natural position. It's not as though it's a thing that they've trained from beginning to end of this tournament. So it felt in moments like they were kind of trying to figure it out on the fly, and there's some other substitutions in there, and there's a winger becoming a fullback, and it just it felt like too much experimentation with the idea of, yeah, but we're Germany, we'll eventually find a way through, and in this game they didn't. And there's actually a Bill Clinton third way which would have been start pop on the wing, yep. which is where she used to play when Germany had those, I forgot their names mm-hmm. now, but really famous strikers mm-hmm. that she couldn't displace. She would play on the wing a lot. So maybe do that instead of playing a defensive midfield. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Here's my argument for why it works to begin with. Lena Magul scores the goal she does. by using her pace to arrive late and mm-hmm. surprise the Swedish defenders. I mean, yes. that's almost... Uh, Van Tecklenburg must have... Excuse me, Vas Tecklenburg mm. must have been sitting on the bench thinking, I'm a genius. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> b- because it's 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 not even like necessarily high pressure from Germany, but it's just uh, a bad giveaway from Eriksson, the Swedish left-back. Yeah. Uh, inter- it's a horrible giveaway. It is. I would say intercepted by De Britz, but it's basically passed straight to her. <laughs> yeah. And I think because... Honestly, because it is passed right to her, she's able to just take that first touch and put Sweden right back into pressure. And I think that's why you have four different Swedes kind of collapse onto Brits. All of them focused on like, oh, no, we're caught. This isn't good. But because of that, you have massive amounts of space open up. And that's where um, Magul, thank you, is able to uh, get in there and basically just completely be undetected. Because So the key defender is Nilla Fischer. She's Mm -hmm. the last one to step out towards De Brits as De Brits is dribbling um, at Sweden. And what's amazing is when Fischer steps out, there's no threat from Lena Magul. Mm -mm. (laughs) She's so far away. But she sprints so hard, so fast. She's so energetic that... 
Fitch, yeah, she exploits the space that Fisher leaves behind, and Fisher didn't even know that she was going to get punished for it. No, she didn't. <laughs> yeah. She didn't. And I mean, and it's also uh, Sam Brandt, the other uh, center back, has tried to make a play on Debritz and has followed her. So then you have both center backs yeah. like, stepping to Debritz, and it really is one of those weird, like the two fullbacks stay about five yards deeper, both together. The mm-hmm. two center backs step higher. So there's a lovely pocket of space if you're there an attacker, is, right. which Magul is. Oh, and quick shout out to Hoot, who mm-hmm. uh, dragged Ericsson yep. out wide immediately after she gave the ball away, so prevented Ericsson mm-hmm. from making it for her own mistake and cutting it off at the source. Yep. I want to talk about Magul's finish as well. Sure. First touch, she kind of pops it up. Mm-hmm. Second one, she does like a, I don't know what you call it, like a scissor kick or mm-hmm. a side, just a side volley. Yep. That, it's just really, it's weird, mm-hmm. but it's really enjoyable to watch. Yeah. I mean, not a great first touch, definitely not intentional, yeah. but is able to finish it, so Make that's all that matters. It, right? so yeah. Make mm-hmm. up for it. Not long later, what, Mm-mm. six minutes later, because Magul scores in the 16th, Jakobsen equalises for Sweden in the 22nd, and... This is a nice-looking goal for Sweden, kind of. It's just a long ball out of the back that Jakobsen runs onto. Mm-hmm. It's an absolute horror show from Germany's defense. It is. Defense. It is. And there are, I would say, a slight. there is a slight extenuating circumstance here of if you go back and watch this, the way the shadows of the players are on this field, it makes it very clear that this long ball from, I believe, Sembrandt, who gets the assist, yeah. it is played direct, directly into the sun. So that, or like, like, <laughs> like if you're trying to defend it, it's like she the ball. She it really hard. She did. Uh, if, you, if you're trying to defend that, the ball is basically where the sun is. So okay. I think... That's why uh, Hegering isn't really able to make as clean of a play as she, well, really any play, but she tries to make a play yeah. that goes right over her head. What happens, she's not even challenged Mm-mm. by, um, oh, what's the, Blackstein? Uh, no, uh, Blackstenius, I believe. Blackstenius. She's not even challenged by Blackstenius, mm-hmm. right? Um, Hegering takes a step back, to, she's got a free header essentially, mm-hmm. and just straight up misses it. Yep. So, sun in face is the only possible explanation, right? Uh, no, yes. She can't, be, she can't be missing headers that badly. No, because we went back and fro- and it's basically like Sembrandt to, I believe, uh, Sager, Sager drops it back to Sembrandt yeah. and then it's the long ball, and we froze it there. And Germany are marked up. They have good defensive they it, shape. Right? They, they seem to. And I think it's, it's a combination here of Hegering thinks she can make a play and then I genuinely think loses the ball in the sun. And then uh, the left back Simon. for Germany, Simon, or Simon. I don't know which one it is It's going to be Simon if it's okay. German. Also because that's what the commentator said and they've probably got their pronunciation there we go. sheet. I literally have no idea what she's doing here. No. So, yeah, here's what happens. Mm-hmm. Simon is marking Jakobsen, right? Mm-hmm. Jakobsen is the right winger yeah. for Who's Sweden. calling for the ball, it should be He's calling for the ball and is the intended target yep. of Sembrandt's ball, right? Simon Either is... Either that or a Blackstinius flick on, but it's always okay. it's always going to be going to Jakobsen eventually. But she's the right winger. Mm-hmm. Simon's the left back. They're marked up. It's like everything's like the way it should be in soccer, right? Mm-hmm. The left back's marking the right winger. Um, so, uh, Jakobsen starts to make a, an interior run towards the center to get on the end of this long ball. As she starts stepping, Simon just goes to Simon's left. Yeah. She just goes out as if there's another player out towards the touchline that she's worried about. Mm-hmm. We look, there's an angle where you can see the entire field. The only person out there is the assistant referee. <laughs> there's no like right back overlap or anything. Uh-uh. There's no reason for Simon to be running out in that direction. I am at, Normally on this show, we always say, why is she doing that? Mm-hmm. And then we will find the reason, right? We've watched this a billion times. I cannot find the reason why Simon does this. No, I mean, I, I, at first I thought like, oh, maybe she's going to mark somebody. But yeah, to your point, the closest Swedish player on that flank is like Glass, the right yeah. back who is playing Way as a right back. back. Yeah. Then I thought maybe it's like, oh, she thinks it's going to be a long ball. They're just going to deal with it routinely. So she's spreading wide to like help reestablish possession and give some width. But even then, you haven't reestablished possession, and she also doesn't tell anybody that Jakobsen is making that run across, right. which is the most unforgivable moment. If you're not going to track them because you're the left back and you want to stay on your side, yeah. I get that. But you still would expect her to pass, the, pass like word along that there's a runner going through, especially because they are 
as we said, Germany are in good uh, good defensive shape, and they're all kind of trying to step up to block off midfield passing options. But it is still then like one v one defending for uh, Simon and for uh, Hegering. So I think then you need to have some sort of communication to know that yeah. everybody's uh, marked. And in this case, they don't. And in this case, Sweden capitalize. And here's my guess: Hegering will get all the blame. Yep. And I guess Simon will mostly go under the She ran out of a shot, man. Yeah, because she she ran out of the shot, but also because people just notice the big misplays more Mm -hmm. than they notice the... Like failure of marking and yes. bad decision making, and then you're not in the final shot. This is true. Yeah. Uh, it is also true to your earlier point that I think Sweden maybe built this into their game plan that they were they had uh, some questions about Germany's two center backs, maybe about their ability in the air, about their ability to maybe step and win balls. Mm-hmm. Because we see Sweden try this a couple different times. They go for those long direct balls from their defense to their attack and really put Germany under pressure. And they don't yeah. always like outside after this one. It's not like they then kind of deal with it completely for the rest of the game. There are still moments, yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I think it was a smart approach from Sweden, which is all the more confusing because, again, as you said, Pop is there to kind of sit back in and win headers. And I think we start to see her sit even deeper, especially in the second half, because there are moments where we were like, "Where is Pop? Why is she she not involved in anything?" And she was, yeah, when they're in possession, that's why they're trying to have like a back Mm -hmm. three and maybe get the fullbacks really high and and push on and push on and push on. Interesting choices. Yeah. Well, in the 48th minute, start the second half. Yep. The Sweden's winning goal, mm-hmm. right? It's Blackstinius um, after a cross, after a after a header. But to me, the key for this it involves Alexandra Pop. Okay. There's a ball from um, it's Ericsson, uh, mm-hmm. the left back, who is able to drive forward a little bit. But she finds from the left back spot, getting towards midfield, she gets behind Germany's midfield to find Aslani in what they call zone 14, mm-hmm. right? The attacking midfield zone. And literally between the lines of the defense and the midfield, Alexandra Pop has failed to cut off the angle. Um, and Aslani snuck in behind, and Ericsson finds her with that pass. To clarify, are you saying uh, Aslani is the one who's, who snuck behind the midfield, between yes. the midfield and the defense, right? Yeah. Because I think... I, Don't I, you speak? Uh, well, j- just or because... Did I, say too much too fast? Well, I wanted to make it clear that it wasn't Ericsson who got between, between yeah. the lines, because that's the, the kind of key moment here, is that Ericsson gets that ball, does, I think, drive forward to, get bypass, uh, to bypass some, yeah, yeah. of the German midfield because Hoot isn't there because Hoot's made an interior forward run exactly. so suddenly there's a little gap where Ericsson can advance with no pressure but you're absolutely right and again I think this goes back to a lack of like positional familiarity for Pop that she should have known step forward three yards now that ball to Aslani is completely blocked off and now you're kind of forcing yeah. Ericsson to continue to dribble one way and then you can get closer and closer and then eventually you either push her outside yeah. or you win that ball but because I think she's not sure what to do and she doesn't want to get beat or get exposed she kind of holds shape and holds shape and that leaves that like passing option open and now because she's holding the ball goes to Aslani and Germany are in a lot of trouble they really are right and and strangely don't seem to know it, which is the thing that stood out to me, <laughs> is that when that ball goes to Aslani, you would expect... I mean, Aslani is one of the best creative midfielders, I think, in this competition. I've yep. been really impressed by her every single game. And you would expect Germany to then be like, oh no, the one person who we don't want to have the ball in space in front of the goal has the ball in, f- in space in front of the goal. We should make a really aggressive play. And instead, they're all pretty much jogging. Like uh, 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 Jennifer Marsan, who comes on at halftime, yeah, is from injury. maybe the one who should have made the most aggressive play and really never breaks pace of a maybe 60% jog to She's get back. three minutes into her comeback, yep. right? She's mm-hmm. probably still feeling it out maybe a little yes, bit. Yes, and complain to the referee and complain to the referee about a, like a lack of a foul given uh, oh, further up the field. Yeah. yeah. But it just those moments of sort of lackadaisical defending combined with maybe a lack of familiarity with what's being asked of them, yeah. I think that really come back to bite Germany, but especially in this sequence. Um, so the defenders do kind of try and do their job, right? Mm-hmm. They start to swarm Aslani. She does a clever job of letting them come to her 
and then laying it out wide. Yep. Is it Jakobsen who's out there yep. again? I'm really impressed with Jakobsen every mm-hmm. time I see her. I think she's dangerous uh, down that right wing. She essentially just drives past. It's not Simon anymore. It's Gavin is mm-hmm. playing left back. Simon came off with yep. an injury towards the end of the first half. Gavin's um, switched sides. Yep. And Gavin switched sides. So yeah, this is three minutes into Gavin switching sides, mm-hmm. which is maybe maybe part a- of this. A- another change for Germany. Another That's change, yeah. Moving odd. all the pieces mm-hmm. around, yeah. Um, so uh, Jakobsen just drives to the end line, crosses it, what, back post? And is it Rolfo gets the header? It is. Yeah. yeah and it's... It's a great header from Rolfo because about halfway through the ball reaching her head, the entire like near side of the goal for from Rolfo's perspective is wide open. But by the time the ball gets to her, the German defenders have slid over. Goalkeeper's in a good spot. Uh, Schultz is in a good spot. And really, if she hits that near post, it's an easy, like, just caught save. Yeah. But what uh, Rolfo does that I think is so smart is he gets a lot of power behind it, but heads it back across goal to the back post. And so if you are Schultz who's sliding over, now you have to completely change direction. And it makes it harder for you to get a full, like, spring to get a really, like, powerful hand or punch that ball clear. And instead, she's only able to get, like, her left hand palm to it and just kind of keeps it out of the goal, but puts it in, back in play. Yeah. And then you are able to uh, to calmly finish if you're Sweden. Yeah, if you're Black Zinnias, right? Mm-hmm. You get the winning goal that sends Sweden through to the semi-finals of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have guessed this after the loss to the US. I would not have either. And based on the I way... I would have guessed them just fall against Germany, basically. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not trying to look past England because I think that's going to be a very, very difficult game. And I, I'm actually kind of worried that the United States, having gotten past France, are going to be a little bit like, well, now that's it. Like, we're, we can make our way to the final. But if <laughs> it, it did feel like once Sweden took this, or like equalized, I think I told you this off air, I had this flash of like, oh, it's going to be Sweden-US in the final, isn't it? That's how it's going to be. And then it's like still a revenge game for the Olympics, but also maybe for the group yeah. stage if you're Sweden. But we'll see the, how it goes. With teams playing their yes. uh, first choice 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Before that happens, yeah. the United States first has to beat England. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I've, I've come to around to the idea of this game that I'm just going to enjoy it. Yep. And I'm going to feel slightly smug in the fact that I'm going to have a team in the World Cup final. There you go. No matter what. Mm-hmm. It's kind of great. Uh, friend of the show, Ira Jersey, <laughs> did email me, I think independent of you, Ooh, interesting. To, to let me know that I should remind you that though the final draft of the Declaration of Independence was agreed upon on the 4th of July, uh-huh. I believe it was initially proposed on July 2nd, and that's the date that John Adams wanted to be the, like, like Independence Day, yeah, like yeah. July 2nd, not July 4th, which is when the U.S. is playing England. So, historically, uh, we like to defeat England on July 2nd. Oh, mm-hmm. you're welcome to try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will be, what, be previewing that game. We'll probably do a preview on Monday, mm-hmm. ready for the game on Tuesday, July 2nd, yep. um, as you mentioned. Indeed. Uh, we're going to do also a little bit of a preview of the United States men's team, uh, yeah. Gold Cup knockout round, what, quarterfinal, quarterfinal match against uh, Curaçao. Good job. There we go. Uh, job. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor, yes. FB Ref. FB Ref. You've heard us talk about mm-hmm. FB Ref. It's fbref.com. Yep. It's the football reference website. It's worth mentioning, FB Ref did a, um, they bought a lot of ads specifically during the Women's World Cup. So in many ways, um, you, if you want to support FB Ref, you should do so because they've kind of funded our World Cup coverage. They have. Right? Yeah. yeah. 100%. We and would have it- had no other ad schedule today, but FB Ref are funding us coming in on a Saturday uh, to do this quarterfinal review. But they've also done a really nice job of keeping keeping the stats for the Women's World Cup front and center. So yeah. you can kind of go there because I, I guess the idea being that that's the biggest competition happening. Mm-hmm. So you go there and you can kind of find those stats easily. You can get individual match reports with individual statistical breakdowns of those games. So yep. you can know who did what and when. Uh, one thing I know I noted from the uh, Sweden-Germany game mm-hmm. is Jakobsen. She got the goal, obviously. We didn't really talk about her finish, right? She sort of nicely just took a touch, went wide, and then like found the yeah. far post back across uh, mm-hmm. Schultz. Um, she got six crosses in. 
during this yeah, game. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I was surprised by that. Yeah. What, what, what did you make of that one? I think it just means she's a really good winger who makes always makes enough space to cross. Is that is that why you said earlier that you were impressed by her? That is it because you saw that stat? No, like, oh, she's her, doing stuff. In the previous game, I just saw her turn on the Jets a lot. Okay. And yeah, she's got wheels. All she's right. got wheels and crosses. Yeah. So you can use FB Ref to get those yeah. uh, match report individual details. Uh-huh. Um, if you don't want to use it for the Women's World Cup, you could also use it to, say, get background information on uh, Curacao players. Because, <laughs> you know what you did? Yeah, because it, it is... Is, it's a nice way of like if you put in the individual player's name, uh, for example, Jafar Arias, uh-huh. with a lot of other sites. Forward for Curacao? You got it. Um, with a lot of other sites, you have to like click through and click through and click through, and then you have to figure out how many games they played and then how many of those games did they start. Yeah. Uh, with this one, like the first thing you'll see is the previous season. 33 appearances, almost 2,000 minutes. Yeah. So that tells you right away, oh, he played a lot. Where did he play those 33 appearances? He made those 33 appearances for FC Emmen, I believe it is, which okay. we had to look up to figure out what that was because we don't know enough about the Dutch league. <laughs> it's Eredivisie top flight, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, he's kind of, that's kind of impressive that he started 33 games last season in the Eredivisie top flight. That makes him one of the sort of more like uh, full-time professional serious mm-hmm. players in the Gold Cup. It does. <laughs> yeah. It certainly does. We'll talk it's more a, about... Just a little taste of our Gold Cup preview of Curacao, I was going right? to say, they've got yeah. a lot of those players. Uh, uh, but first we should say, once again, that uh, today's show brought to you by oh, FB Ref. I had one more stat. You've got about. more stats. The top scorer stat. Of course. It's been updated, obviously. Mm-hmm. We now have a four-way tie at the top of the top scorer chart. Um, I'm looking at the FB Ref here. Five goals for yep. Sam Kerr, who's obviously out, so no more goals. Megan Rapino, Ellen White... And Alex Morgan. Uh-huh. Morgan Alex Morgan would, topping with assists. Yeah, she would have the tiebreaker right now because she has three assists. None of the other players have any assists except Megan Rapino, who has two assists. Ellen White's too selfish. Yeah, That's what and, I'm hearing. And all three, so three of the remaining, the only three remaining active players with five goals mm-hmm. will all be playing in the same game yep. on Tuesday, July 2nd. That's not bad. Yeah. So that could decide the top scorer race, right? If you had to bet right now, who gets it? Oh, Ellen White's going to score a hat trick. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you say that as though you j- didn't just say before, like, I'm just going to enjoy this one. I feel like your rooting interests still, like, surface at some point it's here. It's when you came at me about uh-huh. July 2nd there and we John go. Adams and all yeah. that. Yeah. See, but if a person who was truly neutral would have just been like, I don't care, I'm yeah. neutral. Well, I can easily be pushed either way. The neutral planet in Futurama doesn't suddenly get emotional, my friend. <laughs> they stay neutral no matter what. <laughs> I will leap across this table. T- tell my wife I said hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to mm-hmm. fbref.com sponsoring today's show. The link will be in the show notes. We also I recommend signing up for Stathead, the daily newsletter. You get stats straight to your inbox. We certainly do. <laughs> Thank you to FB Ref. Now let's talk Curacao, shall we? Let's talk Curacao. Okay, yeah, so the US is playing Curacao Sunday night, Gold Cup quarterfinal. We will, of course, be reviewing that game. We will? Yeah. Do we do that? Is that news to you? All right, that's fine. We'll do that. Um, here's my big picture Curacao yep. thing. Um, they're better than you think. Yep. Here's the, and you probably don't think, you think of them as minnows because in the past they have been CONCACAF minnows, mm-hmm. right? But something changed, right? Let's talk about it. In 2010, they became an independent nation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're part of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, but they're an independent nation, which means they can try and qualify for the World Cup. So many more countries have kings than I realize have kings. And yeah. it still throws me off to this day. <laughs> so Curacao have made a change recently, and it, but it makes them a more um, viable nation mm-hmm. to play for, football team to play for. If you are a Dutch player with Curacao heritage or citizenship or any links to Curacao, in the past you might have thought, I don't really want to do that. They're not a proper team. They can't even get to the World Cup. Like, what's the point? Um, suddenly, I think a lot of players can start thinking, oh, Okay, I'm not going to make the Dutch national team, but I'm like this mid-table Eredivisie player. 
I could play for Curacao if you've got the, if you've got the heritage and the links. Do right? you know who had that exact idea? Who's that? Roughly half of the Curacao team. There we go. <laughs> so suddenly, this is why I would classify Curacao mm-hmm. as sort of the rising middle class of CONCACAF, right? They're never going to be as good as Mexico and the US, but they're not going to be minnows anymore. They're not Guyana anymore. They are going to be sort of, I think a team that, I mean, literally a team that now makes the Gold Cup knockout rounds yep. for the very first time. Then mm-hmm. he scored their first Gold Cup goal this tournament. Yep. They were in the 2017 tournament. Mm-hmm. I guess they scored no goals. Um, made the quarterfinals this time. They're a team that I think could threaten to be, we probably don't do the hex anymore because we're going to change qualifying, but could threaten to be towards the final stages of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF. So yeah. that's my big picture. Like, Take them seriously because even though you sort of have never heard of them and don't really think about them, this is a, a, a decent CONCACAF team at this point. It's also sort of like misleading uh, because we played a very weak Trinidad team. Worth noting, they finished bottom of the table. Guiana yeah. beat them because of goal difference. Uh-huh. But not like a Trinidad B team. That was the best they could put I out. I know. Right? And then we also played the Panama B team because they made so many changes. But I say all that just to say that if you look at the U.S. in the Gold Cup right now, it's like, oh, they beat Panama, they beat Trinidad, like Curacao. Who cares about this team? Like uh-huh. they're, they're just some tiny country. Which is true, but it's also the case that they're a tiny country with much more talent than I think any of the other teams we've faced so far. Yes. All right. So maybe a couple of players to spotlight sure. would be uh, Kuko Martina, mm-hmm. um, who has played for what? Who did he play for in the Premier League? Uh, Southampton. And Everton. Um, and Everton. And is now at final in the Eredivisie. He's also their captain. He's also their captain. I think he's one of those guys who... He might be their best player because he's what a right back normally when he plays when he plays in the Premier League he's a right back. I'm assuming mm-hmm. for Feyenoord he's a right back. For Curacao he's a centre back, which mm-hmm. very much says like, hey, you're our best, you're our best defender. Please play centre back yes. and still wear number two. Yes. But you see Martina playing centre back, and you're talking about a top flight Eredivisie footballer. And I would ask you, outside of the US and Mexico, which other teams in the Gold Cup have top flight Eredivisie footballers with Premier League experience playing centre back? Yeah, I mean, and it, and it's it's a lot of them is mm-hmm. the answer for Curacao at least because uh, Eloy Room is their goalkeeper had yeah. some really great saves uh, specifically against Jamaica, but uh, like basically in every single group stage game he pulls off at least one big save. Yeah. Uh, he is the reserve goalkeeper for PSV, which okay. is when you start to look at it's it from that bad. perspective. No, I mean you've got and then you lose some of like the big name teams aside from the two that we've mentioned in final and PSV in the Eredivisie, but then yeah. it's a lot of this team finished 8th in the Eredivisie, yeah. this team finished 10th, like this M- team finished 14th. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of that level, yep. which in some ways you could say is like, ooh, hold on now, like this team maybe rivals uh-huh. some of the, like, the US players in terms of their sort of like the reputation of the club. Yeah, um, if you, and also it's worth noting uh, one important player to keep an eye mm-hmm. on will be number 10, Bakuna. Yeah. Bakuna has played for Aston Villa, I believe, in the Premier League. I think he's currently with Cardiff City. So that means he played a season in the Premier League, mm-hmm. just gone. Uh, Chris, are going to play, what, either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3? My guess is 4-2-3-1. Okay. And, but either way, Bakuna will be the central midfielder that they look to give the ball to yes. each time, right? He's going to be the guy looking to receive the ball and make things happen uh, through their midfield. And then Michael Maria, number six. Uh, Michael Charlotte Maria. Independence. Charlotte Independence. Yeah. I'm guessing that's who will sit alongside him and be the sort of like the midfield pairing. And But that is the perfect maybe distillation of what this Curacao yep. team is, right? There are guys from the Premier League, guys from the Eredivisie, and guys from the USL Championship, right? Yes. So it is... And guys from, I don't think they'll start, but guys who play locally yep. in Curacao, mm-hmm. right? So it's a bit of a mix, but there's a lot of um, 
High profile players. Yeah, I want to, and I, I can keep it going because yeah, go I, it. I would add uh, Elson Hui. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a whole bunch of Hui. Yeah, uh, he <laughs> starts. He's a, I mean, uh, fourteen starts, twenty one appearances last season for ADO Den Haag. Again, Top and, that's, every division, and that's, right? I think he did that. Yeah, as a wide, like a winger for them. Mm-hmm. For Curtis, I would expect him to be more of the number ten in that four two three one. Okay, so it's just like you got. Yeah, you've got this combination of like experienced European-based players with young players coming through who yeah. uh, I'm assuming are doing well for Charlotte. I, I, I don't know. I have not followed them, but I'm guessing that he's doing all right. Who's the striker you mentioned earlier? You mentioned it during the uh, him during the RS. RS, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can't tell you much more aside from that. Like he, I think because he isn't a front and center striker for FC Emmen, yeah. he's more of an assist getter. Had four goals last season, but not quite as many as you would expect. But, I'm gonna guess wide forward. Uh, uh, for for Emmen, yes, yeah. but for Curacao, who will probably be the central striker. Okay, uh, and then I forget who flanks him, but again, it's sort of. Not like high-level players, but it's players that should be slightly uh, disconcerting for American fans in the sense that we should not overlook and expect, more to the point, we should not expect Curacao, I think, to be this defensively bunkered, uh, sort of sitting back and frustrating. I'd heard that about them, Mm -hmm. but then we watched some footage and they seemed quite open. Mm -hmm. My guess is that they'll shift back and forth. They'll either start in a 4-3-3 slash 4-2-3-1. That's their attacking shape. And maybe if the U.S. has possession... Then that Curacao will maybe collapse into a sort of four-five-one looking thing. Yes, that feels yeah, about right. That feels yeah. about right. But I don't me. think they'll be like on the edge of their own box with everybody. It won't be that kind of bunker. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be more like a mid-block four-five-one, where yep. the striker is at the halfway line and the midfielders are just behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that feels about right. It does, and I would I would double down on that and say it also feels like there will be many opportunities for the United States because we saw. Again, in pretty much every single group stage game, there's at least one or two plays for the Curacao defense where they end up. Was it uh, Martina? Uh, yeah. you, you spotted turning on and being like, guys, calm down. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it's just kicks that don't need to happen, clearances that don't need to happen, two players going for the same ball at the same time and running into each other and the yeah. ball springing loose. There will be opportunities for the United States. And I think. Going back to our uh, Panama review where we kind of went in-depth on the way you watch the U.S. and some of the patterns that you like to look for. Oh, yeah. Can I just quickly recommend sure. that? Because I'm really aware. Mm-hmm. It, it actually got good downloads, but I'm aware there are people who decided to skip yeah. the U.S.-Panama game and review because they were really annoyed about the B-team stuff. If you did that, we did – and Taylor and I sort of accidentally had this really big-picture conversation about the Bearhalter era. And, like, um, we talked out some disagreements and really tunneled into a lot of really interesting stuff, I think. Yeah. And we ended up sort of – um, enumerating the Behalter style of play and how to watch it and what to watch for. Mm-hmm. Starts around the 33rd minute of our USA versus Panama review. I really would recommend go back and listen to that um, if, you, uh, if you decided to skip it. Uh, yes, I think people should. And I think they should because this game... I don't want to be overconfident. There's always a chance the United States loses or doesn't look very good or Curacao do end up bunkering and it finishes 1-0. But I also think there's a very good chance the U.S. wins this game 3 or 4-0. And yeah. then the kind of common response to that is like, well, yeah, it's Curacao. Of course, you should have beaten them 6-0. <laughs> and in reality, as we've already talked about, they are a better team, at least on paper, yeah. and thus far in the tournament than you would have expected. Premier League and Eredivisie players. But it's a team that can be, I think, pulled out by smart runs and yeah. players making feints and decoy runs. And, yeah. and so players I, open up space for other players. Yeah. That's the very basis of the Bearhalter thing. And so I honestly, like, I, I don't know if I'm just hyped by that conversation we had <laughs> and by, like, looking at it from a different perspective, but I feel like there's a chance that this game becomes, like, the Greggy Ball, as we've come to call it, <laughs> like, thesis statement of you oh, watch okay. this game and you see just Curacao, like, pulled out by this run and then another attacker makes another, like, Jesse, like, uh, 
like Josie Altador makes a run into the channel and one defender follows him and then uh, who like I don't Weston McKinney makes another run through and that pulls somebody else out and then there's a wide open space and then it looks if you just watch the quick highlights of like oh yeah well they were just wide open they're ridiculous but it's because of the kind of runs and the patterns of play the United States have established so far yes if I was Curacao I'd be working on not trying to fall for that and just I think the way to play against Mm -hmm. the Bearhalter system is to maintain your shape and don't be pulled by runs Mm -hmm. like almost like zonal mark the whole field and don't let people uh, distract you and pull you out of position. Yeah. We'll see if that's what Curacao go with. And let's start, let's see what we think the United States is going to go with, yeah. which I'm guessing is basically the same team we saw in the first two games of the Gold Cup, and then maybe Josie Altador, depending on fitness. I think that's right. I think we've learned that, despite Miesca's good performance um, against mm-hmm. uh, Panama B, it seems that Berhalter favors Zimmerman and Lung. And I would argue Zimmerman's passing is at least as good as Miesca's coming mm-hmm. out of the back, and Lung's pace is maybe better than Miazga's yeah. maybe Zimmerman's pace recovery pace is better than Miazga's so they just seem like the starting pair and the perfect pair so yep. no qualms about that that's that similar sense, right so back to Remit left back back to Nick Lima as the I'm going to guess overlapping right back uh, what so then Bradley Pulisic McKenney. I think Mihailovic or Pulisic I don't think so uh, Tyler Boyd <laughs> wide right I don't really think that please don't read at me Paul Ariola wide left yep. um, and then centre forward is the question yep. right because in the first two games it was Zardes but Altador was coming back from fitness Altidore look mostly fit yeah. against Panama. I think it's all going to depend on how he recovers from that game and how he's feeling and how he's looking maybe the day before. It's going to be a decision of... Yeah. Um, and don't take it as if Zardes starts. Don't think, oh, this means that like Behalter's just tied to Zardes forever and we'll never pick Altidore over Zardes. Right. It's going to be about Altidore's fitness. He's I, either good to go or he's not. I think, again, our conversation informs this. Our conversation from the last show informs this. But like, I, I kind of genuinely don't care who starts. Because oh, really? I would like to see Josie Altidore back because I think he is our like the best number nine striking option the U.S. has when he's fit and ready to go. Yeah. Uh, so if he's starting, then my assumption is that that means he is fit, ready to go, and like well-briefed on the system. But mm-hmm. if he's not, then he's not. But it also means that Jesse Zardes has plenty of experience playing this style and this system, and maybe we see a little bit more fluidity as a result. Yeah. The one reason I hope it's Altador mm-hmm. is I feel like he's higher profile, yeah. especially in the Netherlands, right? Mm-hmm. He probably has a great reputation in the oh, Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, he's got call. like 100 goals for Alkmaar in one season. It wasn't really, but it was like 30 or 40, right? No, that was like 112, <laughs> pretty sure. <laughs> it was more than he scored for Hollow Sunderland. We can go look on FBRF <laughs> if we need to. He, he had a great season for AZ, right? Yep. Um, so they will be aware of Josie Altador that as a striker they need to watch. Will they be there? And what we, it was a little bit of time ago. What we saw well, what we saw in the highlights was a lot of Cuca mm-hmm. Martina would, because he's the best and most high-profile high defender and he's the captain, mm-hmm. would take responsibility for like, the opposition's best striker right. and kind of would follow them out and not mm-hmm. trust anyone else to do the job. So what I think is maybe if it's Altidore, that will be an opportunity to pull Martina out of position because he'll be like, all right, I'm watching this uh, Josmer Volmi Altidore. Going to keep an eye on him. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that, and that's a chance for Greggy Ball to be implemented by Altidore pulling him out. You think he gives yeah. him all three names? I mean, when he's in trouble. Okay, all right. <laughs> like my parents did to me. There we go. Well, I'm saying, but is, are, are they on that level of like relationship that he's like he, he's calling full, full names? All right, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, so uh, that game is what, what time? Sunday night? I don't know. I was hoping you would know. <laughs> I know nothing. That's because you don't have the internet in front of you, and I do. Um, mm. It is eight o'clock Eastern. Saturday night. It's at Lincoln Financial Field, Philly. So the link. That means Green Man will be there. I, I believe that's how it works, yes. <laughs> Although he may have been banned from the stadium. I'm not sure. <laughs> so 8 o'clock Eastern on Sunday night, USA versus Curacao, not Curacao. All right. That's good to know. <laughs> so yeah, we'll be back with, with a review of that one sometime tomorrow evening, potentially Monday morning, depending on how much we need to rewatch. Yes. Um, all right. Then I, it just remains to say, oh, sorry, there's one more thing I want to get into, if you don't mind, if we've got time. It's about Christian Roldan, mm. who we don't think will start this game, but could play a role. Do you remember we got into a whole thing of, 
why does he look so bad for the US national team? Mm-hmm. What is different between what he does for the US and what he does for Seattle? We got emails. We, we asked for emails. We got emails. Here's the thing. All the emails were friendly and polite. Mm-hmm. None of them were like, you guys suck. You should be nicer to roll down. All of them said the same thing. Which is? Okay, so Austin Kovac, Jesse London, Joseph Meadows, Brendan Sweeney, Daniel Martini, all emailed. Thank you for the emails. Really informative. For the Seattle Sounders, Roldan plays in a 4-2-3-1 alongside a number six, where he's the more mobile number eight sitting mm-hmm. deep. And the big difference is he's receiving the ball uh, not with his back to goal. Right. Right. And the problem is... It, it's a weird thing to have to phrase. Like, he was receiving the ball with his front to goal? It's, it's, yes. It's, it's a tough way to explain it. And he's arriving late mm-hmm. when like, attacks happen because he's the he's not the deepest defensive midfielder. Um, it's, is it Gustafsson? I forgot his name. The Swedish... Gustav Svensson. The, Sv- yeah, Svensson um, is the guy who actually stays defensive midfield, right? And he did a similar thing alongside Alonso. Um, Roldan can join the attack slightly late because he's free to go eventually. So he's arriving late. Again, facing goal. Yep. But what he's been asked to do when he's one of these tens when he gets forward in the Berhalter system is essentially you end up getting in some space and you turn around and you're receiving with your back to goal and a defender in your back mm-hmm. and that's where we've seen him lose the ball multiple yep. times right I've, I can picture that in my head many many images of Roldan losing the ball in that situation so he's essentially being asked to do a thing that he doesn't normally do and mm-hmm. that I think we've got the Roldan explanation thanks to these great emails we got from Seattle fans so I did appreciate all those I agree with everything that was said there my question then becomes though like, where is the line on that, though? Because on the one hand, you're absolutely right that like he's a central midfielder who's used to getting the ball at his feet with the defense in front of him. He can go at them. He can make plays. You're right that when like now you're being asked to like play with like a defender on your back, you've got to turn, you've got to kind of distribute the ball, you've got to find ways to get through that. You're right that it's putting him in a different position, but at the same time, like, shouldn't he be able to handle that? Isn't that a thing that a professional should be able to sort of be like, oh, okay, it's this now? Okay, I'll practice that for a day, yeah. and I've got it under control. And even I'd, I'd double down on saying he should be able to do it with the the job is half the same as Seattle. Because yeah. when we collapse into the defensive 4 4 2, he is next to a more the more defensive midfielder, probably Bradley. And so he's mm-hmm. sort of playing the same-ish role when we're defending. It's only when he gets forward and that back-to-goal thing happens. So the answer is yes. Like He basically just should be good enough okay. to do it. He should uh, – I don't know if it's a thing you can work on at that stage in his career because he's already like mid to late 20s, right? It's not like he's some kid like Mihailovic who you can see there's room to grow. So – I mean, Michael maybe, Jordan would tell you that there's always time to develop. I mean, yeah. I mean, but he was very driven. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think – Yes, he should get better at it, mm-hmm. but we keep seeing the evidence that yep. he's not. So eventually, maybe we just have to accept that even though he theoretically can do half the job right, the, this, the foot, when he goes forward oh, yeah. and turns around, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's, and I'm not even like saying it critically. It's just more of a like my, my instinct there was to, th- was to say like, yeah, and that is really difficult. Back to goal, you've got to figure it out differently. And then I paused for a moment and was like, yeah, but I'm not a professional soccer player. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a pro should probably be able to figure that out after a couple of games. So yeah. we'll see if Christian Roldan gets the opportunity to do so and what he does if he gets that opportunity. I mean, we're one Weston McKennie injury away from him getting that opportunity. Can we can we like double wrap Weston McKinney's legs and body and everything? Yeah, he okay, should cool. play in bubble wrap. <laughs> Let's just put him in a full NFL like pad situation. <laughs> See, what, he, might, he might lose a little bit of pace. That's fine, and a little bit of jumping ability. That's fine too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I will wrap up there. But I Harder want, to get around though. I wanted to make sure to mm-hmm. share that. I kind of sprung that on you as well, right? But, yeah, whatever. So I will say very sincerely then, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today and listen to uh, my my roll down segue. I think you just wanted to make sure that we get as close as possible to an hour running time, and you How weren't am I doing? you weren't happy. We're about at fifty minutes, but oh, you you weren't. I've got one more thing that takes about ten minutes to talk about. Anyway, right back at you, buddy. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you after the game. Sendina.